Today, I continue with part two of my position previews for the South Carolina Gamecock football team heading into fall camp. Plus, a big NIL announcement was posted by the athletic department on Monday. What was entailed in that announcement? I'll discuss all that today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, as always, Andrew Lyon, and as I mentioned at the opening of today's show, today is part two of my fall camp position previews for the South Carolina Gamecock football team. In today's show, I'm going to go over both the tight end and offensive line position groups going from the starters to the backups and a couple of reserve players or newcomers that you need to know about. And at the end of today's show, I'm going to give you all some of my thoughts on a big announcement made by the South Carolina Athletic Department in partnership with Atlas Sports Partners regarding name, image, and likeness with Gamecock Athletics. I got a lot to unpack, so I want to go ahead and get started with today's show. But before I get started, as always, thank you for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast daily. All right, so let's go on ahead and go on into part two of my position preview, starting off with the tight end group. So there's going to be two primary guys that are going to be starters out of this group, and I'll start off with the obvious one in Jaheim Bell. Now, Jaheim Bell will be considered to be more of a wide back this upcoming season, considering what he did in 2021. Wide back meaning that he'll be probably playing a little bit of both wide receiver and running back, along with some of his primary duties at tight end. Last season, Jaheim Bell had 30 receptions for 497 receiving yards, five touchdowns, and an average of 16.6 yards per reception in the 12 games he appeared in. Now, there's no question that Jaheim Bell is going to line up all over the field in order to utilize his full skill set. Jaheim Bell has, in my opinion, considerably improved his route running. Not that it was bad this past season, but his route running has gone from being pretty good to now being great. And if you follow Jaheim Bell on Twitter back in the springtime during spring practice, you saw probably a few video clips of him in some short yardage, goal-to-go situations, one-on-one routes basically against opposing defenders, best man wins, trying to get open to catch a pass from Spencer Rattler or any of the other quarterbacks. Jaheim Bell dominated those drills, to put it bluntly. He also, of course, showcased his speed against North Carolina Tar Heels, especially in the Dukes' male bowl win this past season, and even showcased a nasty little stiff arm in his arsenal as well, especially in the Vanderbilt game at home. So in my estimation, if Jaheim Bell does not have at least 750 receiving yards in at a minimum seven receiving touchdowns with this offense and all the talent we have and a second year in the system this next season, then at this point, you just have to say that we did not utilize Jaheim Bell properly because Jaheim Bell is one of the best, if not the best tight end prospects in the country heading into next year's NFL draft. And there's no reason for us to not showcase all the talent that he has on the football field every game this team plays this next season. Now, because Jaheim Bell can be put out wide or in the backfield, that's going to open the door for Austin Stockner, transfer Oklahoma tight end who 
came in during the summertime after he completed his degree at Oklahoma, making him a graduate transfer. So I was actually asked by a listener of the show not too terribly long ago why I had not talked about Austin Stogger more on the show up to this point. And I do have to admit, the listener had a very fair point. I have not mentioned Austin Stogger's name probably as much as, quite frankly, a lot of other people have. And my response to the person who posted this comment was that, you know, he was, in fact, correct. But I think that also tells you just how much talent that this offense has added. So... To get into what Austin Stogner is going to bring to the table, he's got a lot of experience. He's played in 34 career games, including 10 starts, which led to him having 47 receptions for 654 receiving yards and eight touchdowns in the three seasons he played for the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, the reason Stogner maybe didn't start as many games during his time with Oklahoma, year one, he was a true freshman. So obviously, most true freshmen, especially at tight end, who have the playing style of Austin Stogner, who can go in line and block or go out for passes, they're probably not going to play much as a freshman. But his sophomore and junior year, Austin Stonger dealt with a few different injuries that sort of were nagging to the point where he just wasn't able to really go out there and give it 100%. But when Austin Stogner is healthy, he is a big body receiving threat for any quarterback he plays for. He's a guy who has a mix of traditional and modern day tight end tangibles and intangibles. He stands at 6 foot 5 250 pounds according to his player profile on ESPN and he also helps with inline blocking especially in combo blocks with offensive tackles. He also however does run very well for his size and he can go up and get the ball when he needs to. He and Jaheim Bell in two tight end sets especially in the red zone could be an absolute nightmare for opposing defensive coordinators because both of these guys can beat you one on one but they both do it in very different ways. Now, let's go over some of the rotational pieces the tight end room is going to have this next season, starting off with Trayvon Keenan. Now, being a redshirt junior, Keenan has appeared in 19 games throughout his career, including a season-high 13 games last season, which included two starts, four receptions, 49 receiving yards, and one touchdown grab. Keenan is an unsung hero in this offense because he's asked to do a lot of grunt work, mainly with the blocking aspect in a lot of our run plays, especially when it comes to pull blocks. Now, while it's not something that gets noticed by casual fans, I'm confident in saying this. Keenan is an NFL tight end because once he gets his hands on a defender, it is very hard for that defender to break free from Keenan's grasp. And I would tell this to anybody. I think South Carolina has one of the more underrated tight end rooms in the entire country because everyone knows Jaheim Bell and Austin Stogner, but very few people realize that we also have a third NFL caliber tight end in Keenan. But we also have another tight end who transferred in this past offseason that could help in a big way on particular running downs, and that is Nate Atkins out of East Tennessee State. He, in four seasons, had 73 catches for 749 receiving yards and four touchdowns. And in his time at East Tennessee State, he was primarily known for his blocking ability. And when you combine that with the fact that his dad is Greg Atkins, Carolina's offensive line coach, I would suspect that his skills are going to carry over to the SEC in a big way. And when Atkins was in the transfer portal, he did garner interest from LSU and Alabama both, which tells you just how much these college coaches thought of Nate Atkins' overall game. So my point with all this is this is not a case of player-coach nepotism happening here, as some fans accused at the beginning. I know not very many, but there was a faction that did think that was the reason why we got him. No, Nate Atkins can play. And I would not be shocked if Satterfield even put out a 14-personnel package 
at certain points in certain games to get all of these tight ends on the field at the same time. Now, when looking at the rest of the tight end room, the first player I'm going to bring up is Chad Terrell. Now, Chad Terrell is a six-year super senior who was converted tight end out of necessity in the spring due to a lack of bodies because of injuries and Stogger not being on campus yet. Terrell has seen action in 27 games over his career, catching seven passes for 76 yards in the process. In the spring game back in April, however, Chad Terrell put on a show with the snaps he got as sort of a hybrid H-back slash tight end player including a 31-yard score off a swing pass from Luke Doty where he outran R.J. Roderick to the sideline into the end zone for a score. And he played well enough to where there was some buzz after the spring game of him potentially being able to find some playing time as long as the momentum is kept up in the fall, according to the coaches and Shane Beamer. Now, Jesse Sanders is another reserve out of this tight end group. He's a third-year walk-on who saw some late-game action against Eastern Illinois in Week 1 this past season. He looks to be added depth behind the rest of the guys I previously mentioned. Not really a whole lot to add here. Just don't expect Jesse Sanders to see the field too much this season. Xavier Short is the newcomer out of this group. Now, Short was rated as the 26th best prospect out of the state of South Carolina, according to 24-7 Sports Composite, for the 2022 class. Short was a productive local high school prospect out of Chapin High School and fits the prototypical H-back role in a pro-style offense. He's even drawn some comparisons to Patrick DeMarco, which, of course, Patrick DeMarco just finished a 10-11 year NFL career just a year or two ago, was an extremely valuable part of Steve Spurrier's offenses back in those days. But with this being his first year and Xavier Short being listed at 208 pounds coming out of high school, according to his 24-7 sports profile, Short is a prime candidate, in my opinion, to be redshirted in year one and maybe see some time on special teams if needed. And then the last tight end out of the group is Dave Adams, who joined the program halfway through the 2020 through 21 academic year and is a walk-on who was on scout team last season and kind of like Jesse Sanders looks to be reserved this upcoming season. Don't really see him getting a lot of snaps on the field this fall. Now, in just a couple moments, I will get into my position preview of the offensive line group. Who could be the starters coming out week one against Georgia State? Who could be some of their primary backups? And who are some of the newcomers to know heading into this fall? I'll tell you all that in just a few moments after a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online. Now, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports information, where you'll find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including college football and NFL futures, regular season Major League Baseball, and, of course, all the latest fine news from MMA and UFC all the way to boxing. BetOnline acts as a continuous source for all of your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and much, much more. So be sure to head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn the latest about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. So moving on to the offensive line group now, I'll go over, in my opinion, the projected starting lineup heading into fall camp. At left tackle, I think the star is going to be Jalen Nichols. Jalen Nichols is a senior who has started in 11 games and played in 25 overall at both left guard, right tackle, and left tackle. So Nichols has a lot of experience across the entire offensive line. And he was also named a co-winner of the Most Improved Player of the Spring Award on offense this past spring. And the player who I believe is going to be starting at left guard is Vershawn Lee, who has appeared in 16 games and made 10 career starts, including nine this past season where he took over the left guard spot a little ways into the season and did not relinquish it from that point on. 
The center is going to be Eric Douglas without question. Douglas is a sixth-year super senior who's coming back for one final ride at South Carolina. He has played in 44 career games, including 24 starts, and has actually started the last 23 games straight that South Carolina has played. The projected star at right guard is Javon Gwynn, a redshirt senior who has started a team-high 34 games in his career and is considered to be the best offensive lineman in the starting group and really excels when it comes to run blocking. And then at right tackle, there could be one of two guys that could be starting here. I'll start off with the more experienced player in Dylan Wonham, a fifth-year super senior who has played in 32 games, starting 30 of them. Now, he had a back injury halfway through the 2021 season, which eventually led to surgery and him being out for all of spring practice. Now, Wona was a freshman All-American back in 2018, so he has shown some glimpses of being a potential top-notch offensive tackle in the SEC. And he'll look to bounce back and have a great send-off to his collegiate career, unless Tyshawn Wanamaker takes that spot. Now, Wanamaker is a redshirt sophomore who has played in 14 games and started the final seven games this past season at right tackle after Dylan Wanamaker went out with his back injury. Wanamaker was named to the 2021 freshman All-SEC team by the coaches of the conference and has the athleticism and now some experience under his belt to help him potentially win the right tackle position in fall camp. Will definitely be an interesting position to watch coming out of August. Now for some of the backups on the offensive line, I'll start out with Ja'Kai Moore. Ja'Kai Moore is a redshirt junior who has appeared in 20 games and made 11 starts overall, with seven of them being at left tackle and the other four being at right tackle. Another backup to know is Colin Henrick, a redshirt freshman walk-on who won the scout team award on offense for the 2021 season and will look to try and break the two deep this fall camp. And he got a lot of big snaps as a part of the second string offensive line group in the spring game back in April. So do not count out Colin Henrick as a potential second stringer entering week one against Georgia State. Hank Manos is going to be the primary backup at the center position without question. He's a redshirt senior who has played in 15 career games, including two starts. And this included 10 games back in 2021, the most he's had in a single season up to this point in his career. And again, he's widely considered to be the backup center out of this offensive line group. Another offensive lineman to watch for in the backup role is Trey Jones, a redshirt sophomore who appeared in nine contests last season, primarily as a special teams offensive lineman and as the team's fullback. Although he's expected to move back to offensive line full-time, at least based on the spring game snaps, where Trey Jones did not see any snaps at the fullback position. Granted, South Carolina did not run that formation very much in the spring game, but again, seems like Trey Jones' days of being a fullback are potentially done. We'll see, of course, if that's confirmed in fall camp. Wyatt Campbell's another backup offensive lineman to watch for. A redshirt senior who has played in three games in his career, and according to Gamecocks Online, he can play both inside and outside on the offensive line. Jordan Davis is another backup, redshirt freshman who was on the scout team last year. He didn't really play in any games. Don't expect that to really change a whole lot this season unless, again, gosh forbid, there's a rash of injuries. John Darius Morgan is another guy who's been in the program for at least a year. He's a redshirt freshman who was out with an injury this past season and has mainly worked at guard, according to his player profile, from Gamecocks Online. Now, 
The three newcomers that you need to know heading into the 2022 season on the offensive line, starting out with Ryan Brubaker. He was rated the 42nd best offensive tackle in the country for the 2022 recruiting class, according to 24-7 Sports Composite. He's someone who does well at driving his feet and finishing through plays, especially when it comes to run blocking. Although he'll need to increase his upper body strength in year one, he could contend to be a backup in fall camp, depending on how the dominoes fall and how quickly he can get a grasp on the blocking schemes and the language and terminology that the offensive line has to use. Grayson Maines is another offensive lineman who will be a newcomer this fall. Rated the 64th best offensive tackle in the country for the 2022 recruiting class, according to 24-7 Sports Composite. He is also a road grader and plays through the whistle just like Brubaker. But he's going to need to add a little bit weight as according to his 24-7 Sports profile, he was listed at 265 pounds the last time they did his measurables. So that's definitely not enough weight to carry if you're going to play offensive line in the SEC. So I imagine that's been objective number one for Grayson Maines since he has made it to campus, if he's made it to campus yet at this point. And then the last newcomer offensive lineman to watch heading into 2022 is Kaysen Henry who was rated the 95th best offensive tackle in the country in the 2022 recruiting class, according to 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings. Now, Kaysen is just like the other newcomers in terms of the type of player he is. He's a mauler in the running game who plays through the whistle and is always looking for someone to block even after he finishes his own block. He, like the others, will probably redshirt and could potentially crack the two deep if injuries do take place on the depth chart. All right, so that's going to conclude part two of today's position previews heading into fall camp. One other quick note that I do want to make before I get into the final segment of today's show. I did see earlier today the fall camp schedule release, and I do need to correct something. I think I have said before that August 2nd or alluded to the fact that August 2nd was going to be day one of fall camp. I am incorrect on that. The first day of fall camp is actually going to be on August the 5th. I did tweet that out, but in case you don't follow me on Twitter, I want you to know that because of all that, I'm going to space out these fall camp previews a little bit more than I was originally planning on doing because I'm now going to actually have a little bit more time to go over more of these positions in depth before they begin fall camp practice. So just wanted to make that clear to all of you before I get into today's final segment, which is going over some NIL news involving South Carolina. So what exactly is the NIL news that I am talking about? Well, on Monday, South Carolina's athletic department announced that Atlas Sports Partners are going to provide some on-campus NIL initiative for Gamecock Athletics. Now, this is an article right here that I got the following information from, and you may be wondering, what exactly is that initiative? Well, the initiative is this. South Carolina is going to be one of six schools in FBS football who are part of their new general manager program. So what is it that you need to know about this new initiative and what all is going to happen? Well, the partnership is expected to start this coming fall and be underway before September 1st, basically before the beginning of football season. And it looks to, quote, centralize and stabilize athlete-focused strategy, education, operations, and deal facilitation in name, image, and likeness, close quote. Atlas is also going to be placing full-time personnel on campus to assist student-athletes with NIL partnerships. And Ray Tanner actually had a statement regarding this new initiative that Atlas is starting with South Carolina with this general manager program, saying, quote, The NIL landscape is evolving and has been a tremendous opportunity for our student-athletes. 
Since the beginning, our arrangement with Atlas over a year ago, they have been beneficial to our process. Now that Atlas will be having a partner service manager on our campus, a la the general manager, it will maximize the prospects for our student athletes to engage in successful, meaningful NIL partnerships. So the GM or Atlas partner service manager will also try to recruit local businesses to join, in this case, Gamecock Exchange, an NIL registry strictly for local businesses and also national as well. And the service is free for both the student athlete and the business involved in these NIL deals. The Atlas partner service manager will also work closely with associate athletics director for administration, Hillary Cox, who, according to the article, is responsible for oversight on the department's NIL work. And she also has a statement on this new initiative with Atlas saying, quote, from the beginning, our mission with Gamecock NIL has been to help our student athletes maximize their NIL opportunities. This is another example of strategic decisions in the NIL space to help us achieve our core mission. We will continue to improve our programming and offerings as we move forward with a focus remaining on our student athletes. So that is the last part from this article I'm going to share with y'all directly, but you may still be sitting there and asking yourself, so Andrew, why is it that all this actually matters? Why should we care about this? Well, here's why you should care about this recent announcement. This is, first of all, optically a great look for the University of South Carolina as it shows that they are embracing this new world of collegiate sports. They are going to care about NIL and they're not going to sit back and rest on their laurels to see what exactly everybody else is going to do. South Carolina is going to grab the bull by the horns, take initiative instead of being 100% reactive in this process. This partner service manager being provided by Atlas seems like it's going to basically streamline the entire process of NIL deals being sought after and subsequently created between both businesses and student athletes alike. And it's also going to provide players and their families with vital information that could potentially lessen the chance of them being offered a false bill of goods, basically a deal that cannot actually be fulfilled And it's also going to take a lot of stress off of these different coaching staffs for all of these sports teams who constantly and understandably so from the athlete's perspective are being faced with questions and inquiries from recruits and their parents or guardians and even the current players on their roster a lot of the time regarding how can they capitalize off their name, image, and likeness monetarily. And obviously, this has been a big deal for all these head coaches. If you watched SEC Media Day's Just this past week, you saw coaches like Kirby Smart, like Lane Kiffin, like Nick Saban, all talk about how the NIL NIL realm needs to be regulated. There needs to be changes made. Now, of course, that was more so geared towards the fact that right now, the NIL collectives can seemingly go out there and just go get what any players they want under their different state bylaws regarding name, image, and likeness. And of course, at the end of the day, These student athletes are the ones that are at the most risk of potentially being hoodwinked in the entire process. With this now being in place at South Carolina, that is not going to happen. This is going to make things much easier on the student athletes, and it is going to, once again, show prospective recruits who are looking at South Carolina and maybe name, image, and likeness is a big priority of theirs, that South Carolina is going to dive in headfirst when it comes to NIL and trying to help student athletes be able to capitalize monetarily, again, off their name, image, and likeness. So this is a big deal for the school. Again, they're one of only six universities or colleges in the country right now at the FBS level that are a part of this program. Now, 
obviously, this is probably going to expand further to other programs as time wears on. There's no way it's going to stay with South Carolina and the other five schools alone for forever. But South Carolina will now have a feather in their proverbial cap on how they were one of the first schools to participate in this kind of program. Again, you may not care about this as much, but what's important is the student athletes are going to care about this a lot. It's a big deal to them now. They want to be able to get money and get paid while they are playing for these prospective schools. South Carolina, again, showing that they're going to be proactive in this entire process is 100% good for the football program and all the other athletic programs as well. So with that being said, y'all, that's going to do it for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. As always, what are your thoughts on the tight end and offensive line position groups heading into this upcoming fall camp? Obviously, there's a lot of questions surrounding the offensive line still. Just how much better could they be this next season? Maybe with Greg Atkins being more hands-on with them and being able to spend more time with them now that all of his personal health issues off the field are hopefully taken care of. What about the tight end group? Do you think it's vastly underrated like I believe it is? And also, what are your thoughts on this new NIL initiative that South Carolina is doing with Atlas Sports Partners? I do want to hear your thoughts down below in the comments section if you're watching this on YouTube. But if you are listening to this on audio podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts daily, then you can also feel free to shoot me a message at a lion underscore SC on Twitter. And I'll be sure to respond to any replies or comments that I get from y'all as quickly as I see them. And also, if you've enjoyed the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast and you want to get more on the entire SEC conference, then make Lockdown SEC your second listen every day, where host Chris Gordy and the local experts of Lockdown take you across the SEC landscape in just 30 minutes. So again, make Locked On SEC your second listen every day after, of course, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that's going to do it for me on today's show. I hope you all have a great rest of your Wednesday. And I'll catch you all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.